baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it's time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves as we embark on the month of September, heading into Labor Day weekend, which means only about three weeks worth of baseball left in the 2020 season before we turn the page, start talking about October and playoff baseball. It'll be here before you know it, but a lot of stuff going on with the Atlanta Braves for us to jump into on this episode of the show. As always, Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is going to join me for that and we'll get started momentarily. Before we do, though, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and those reviews. If you like the show, be sure to tell a friend as well. We appreciate all those shares and all the help on social media, which, by the way, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter. I am on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show's on Instagram at From the Diamond with no underscore on the end. I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And you can find every episode of the show and all the articles and other content at FromTheDiamond.com. Another busy week for the Atlanta Braves, who have been in action and on the road, first stopping in Philadelphia, then stopping in Boston. Now they're back in town to welcome the Washington Nationals to Truist Park. And I'd like to welcome Gabe Burns into the show as we talk about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves this week. He, of course, covers the team for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and you can follow his work on Twitter at AJC. Gabe, we got a lot to talk about. I'm glad we were able to find some time to reconvene as the Braves have been playing some pretty good baseball, more or less. They still find themselves in first place, and I guess it's going to be a, a fast and furious kind of finish over the next three or four weeks as we wrap up the regular season. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me as always, Grant. And uh, the road trip definitely turned around. Yeah. A rough start those first two nights, and, you know, you win, you win four in a row, you sweep Boston which is not the achievement that it normally is, but it's three wins <laughs> right. nonetheless. So, we'll take them. so they're coming home, and they're in pretty good shape in the NL East. Well, the big story, I think, this week was not only the Braves kind of salvaging that road trip and, as you mentioned, sweeping the Boston Red Sox, which does feel nice when you go into Fenway Park and you, you win every single game and do it in the fashion in which the Braves did it, which, of course, we're going to talk about a lot on this episode of the show. But in that road trip, of course, was something that I think – teams and fans and, and baseball media types and anybody that has an interest in the sport passing or otherwise is always interested to see what's going to happen at the trade deadline. A few moves were made. There were some trades. There was perhaps a little bit more activity in a couple of spots than I thought there would be, but the Braves did not get much done at the trade deadline. And you and I had an over under set at one and a half trades to improve just the rotation. Forget about what Alex Anthopoulos would have done to address any other need for his team, which he was trying to do a couple of other things as well. The deals did not come together, and with a rotation sporting an ERA over seven on nights that Max Freed does not pitch, how surprised were you that Alex wasn't able to get a deal done and get some help in for this rotation? I was pretty surprised. I, I think that, you know, there's so much, obviously, uh, Twitter and Braves fans were kind of losing their minds over that 24-hour stretch. It can both be true that Alex was right not to pay whatever the prices were for some of these guys, mm-hmm. while also dis- you know, it being a disappointment that they didn't get anything done. Like, And it could come back to haunt them. And, uh, his, and his unwillingness to meet that price, which, again, I am not blaming him for. We were not in the room. And he said this in his post-deadline presser, I mean, people, like, he pointed out how people have asked for Riley and uh, Cunha and everybody, Mm -hmm. and I don't think anyone was asking him to trade a prospect of that ilk, even if he had added another player along Tommy Malone's talent level or the expectations you have there, uh, his first start notwithstanding. Right. 
But even if he had added another one of those, that would have met the over for us, which I think was generally what we expected was probably a couple of Tommy Malone's realistically. At least, yeah. And we talked about it before. I didn't expect Mike Clevenger to get dealt. But, you know, San Diego comes and they put together a package that is, you know, it's quality, but it was more about the quantity and the amount of decent players they were giving mm-hmm. rather than that elite guy. And I think that's a deal that the Braves have been able to do in the past and haven't. And I think that that frustrated people too. Right. So it was surprising. Uh, not not that they didn't get a Clevenger or a Lynn who, you know, if the asking price is Drew Waters plus on Lance Lynn, I would probably sit that one out. But just in general, to not add anyone else to this group, I mean, it's definitely mind-boggling. I, I, uh, and again, we weren't in the room. Yeah, We don't know which guys were available. So this isn't necessarily, you know, I tweeted something the other day and everyone thought I was like hammering the front office. This isn't necessarily a criticism. But it is it is just pretty flooring that you have the second-best team in the NL, a very clear weakness, and you aren't able to get something done there. So yeah. it's, it's disappointing for them. Um, we'll see, you know, how October plays out, and then we'll kind of look back at it. We can't really judge it and look back on it until we know how this thing winds up finishing right now. But it was an underwhelming deadline. And let's unpack some of that stuff, too, because Tommy Malone was a deal that got done. So when we set that over-under at one and a half, I figured, you know, you would get somebody in who was just kind of, at the very least, another warm body or somebody that you felt like could at least cover five innings more times than not. And, hey, Tommy Malone may end up being that guy. He had a not great debut with the Braves, but considering everything else that's gone on with the Braves rotation, I, I guess I shouldn't necessarily say I'm surprised. And I also couldn't necessarily say, well, this was altogether worse, but we'll set that aside for a moment. I mean, a Tommy Malone deal felt like the pre-deadline move to make sure that, well, if nothing else happens, we've gone out and gotten somebody who can at least come in and we can try this out. The deal that didn't come together was for more of what you were talking about, which was an arm that you would feel a lot more confident about. And whether that, that was a front of the rotation starter or just somebody who was a solid, established 3-4 starter that you just kind of knew what you were going to get there I was having a good year and you felt confident about what he could do over the final month or two and the playoffs clearly being the second month that we'd be talking about here. I was very surprised that that kind of deal did not come together. Mike Clevenger was the big name who was moved. It was a a quantity and I think quality trade for the Indians. And it was what they were looking for because it included major league pieces, guys that had some major league time or that were ready to be plugged right in. That I can understand the Braves maybe not matching up with a club like Cleveland in that regard because for the Braves to start trading major league-ready pieces, you are starting to talk about a guy like Austin Riley. You're probably talking about Ian Anderson, who we've now seen pitch a couple of times. We'll talk a lot more about here shortly. Those are not the kind of pieces I'd want to be dealing away for Mike Clevenger plus three, four other players quite possibly to meet or exceed the offer that the Padres gave the Indians. And that, I think, becomes a question for the GM is how much is too much to sacrifice to get a deal done? And when you do get that deal done, do you believe in that deal more so than what you traded away? And I can understand having some reservations about that if I'm Alex Anthopoulos. So outside of Clevenger, you know, other than that, it wasn't a wild and crazy deadline with arms, but we did see some lesser starters, Mike Minor. Taiwan Walker, Ross Stripling, guys like that. They also went elsewhere. The biggest head-scratcher to me, though, and you touched on this earlier, is that Lance Lynn did not go anywhere. The Rangers held on to him. Uh, What do you make of their decision to do that? And you mentioned Drew Waters as being a guy that could have been in the mix as a trade that I think he was rumored for both Clevenger and perhaps Lance Lynn. You start adding up all the pieces, I guess, if you're Alex Anthopoulos, you have to ask how much is too much. But I was just surprised the Rangers decided to hold on to Lance Lynn and not trade him, especially considering they did the same thing with Miner a year ago, and it really didn't pay off this time around. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that they clearly didn't learn their lesson. That's a team that's kind of been teetering on a rebuild, or should we go for it for a while now? It it doesn't seem like there's a really clear direction there. Does it sound like another club that we know fairly well that was in that kind of in-between, at least for a moment, and also got a new ballpark right in the middle of it? Yeah, there's actually some similarities there. I do think that the Braves probably had uh, better prime yeah, uh, players to sell off than Texas does right now, unless they are 
you know, if they do trade Gallo, we'll see uh, what he winds up fetching back. We'll see how he finishes the year. But, yeah, it's it's a little bit – that's a bit of a scratcher not moving Lynn at this point. You know, they're not going anywhere this season. I mean, he has one year left. How much are they really going to be able to change over this off season that makes them suddenly competitive? It's not like – we talked about Dylan Bundy several times on here, but we also brought up the fact that the Angels do have aspirations next year, yeah. and you just can't keep playing the let's see about next year game when Mike Trout is 29. Mm-hmm. So for them to not trade Bundy, that didn't really surprise me at all. I actually would have been more surprised if someone actually paid the price yeah. to get that done. So with Lynn, if they're asking for Drew Waters plus for Lynn, and my understanding was it was I don't I don't have it confirmed, but my understanding was it was obviously more than just him. It wasn't it wouldn't like be a one for one, but right. I, I wouldn't have done that. Uh, I I, pro, I might have for Clevenger, thinking about it. Um, I I go back and forth on it. You're talking with Clevenger, like, and I told you this. I had that whole thing red flagged a little bit. Yeah just with his teammates, sure. how they reacted to him. And the to. team was, yeah, and, and the team being as good as it was and for, for them to option him. And, you know, they're trying to win. I get it that he was an idiot, but they are trying to win, and he's their second-best <laughs> pitcher. And the only reason he's their second-best is because their best is going to win the Cy Young. Mm-hmm. So that certainly if you pay a price like that for a guy like Clevenger, if you do trade a, a high-end prospect like that, and you can look at the different prospect rankings. Different teams are going to be all over the place on waters, just like publications are. But that is more reasonable than Lynn, I think, and I, and I like Lance Lynn. I thought Lance Lynn was really just a really good fit here. I thought he was what this team needed. But if that's the price that you're looking at for him, I mean, I'm not going to criticize them at all for not getting that done. And now, at the same time, you can criticize them for not getting anything done. Yeah. That's more than fair. Now, it's not like Lance Lynn was the only guy. And, and everyone likes to bring up there weren't any other starters moved. There were a small group of guys. Right. I mean, Mike Miner was moved. He's not having a great year, but he right. did. I think he threw six shutout innings in his last start. Yeah, and heck, the Blue Jays got two starters. And yeah, that's I, I what think I was that, say. it's quality, yeah. if nothing else. Yeah, and I don't know that the Dodgers would have sent Stripling to Atlanta. Right. Um, but they might have. They, I mean, they do have a relationship with Anthopolis. It might have – now it might have cost the Braves um, – More. You know, so, so a little, yeah, a little more. I don't know that the Dodgers would be thrilled to help the team that's right behind them. But, but there were fringe guys available, you know, the, uh, again, the Tommy Malone-type guys. And for this team to not add one of them, it, it was definitely surprising. And, and that's the reason why you see the Braves. You know, everyone likes to do these trade deadline winner and loser, which are, you know, you don't know. I mean, we, we get all that stuff is for fun. Power rankings, sure. draft grades, all that stuff is just for fun. But there's a reason why the Braves are, like, at the top of the losers list for on all of them. Like, a lot of people have said, well, this year is kind of a wash anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think you should view it that way. I agree. It feels like I'm stating the obvious, but for a lot of people, I'm not. Look, I understand the season could be canceled at any time. I understand that that is a risk. They have the second-best record in the National League. They're down their best starter. Yeah, they are still the second-best team in the National League. You know, like this lineup, they still have not seen this lineup at its full capabilities. Ozzy's still not back. Uh, And you don't know. I mean, we're talking about a first round of a three-game series. And I ask you this, Grant, and I ask it to Braves fans, if the Dodgers get upset in the first round and just lose two out of three, is there anyone in the NL that you confidently feel is better than Atlanta? That's a great question, and I don't think there's another team that really, if we're all things considered, and the Braves have their guys and are healthy, even with the ones that they've lost and don't have, that has a, a better look than Atlanta does. I mean, offensively, if nothing else. I mean, the Braves are a team to be reckoned with in a short series or otherwise. Exactly. So... If the Dodgers, I mean, I mean, say what you will. Okay, maybe the Braves can't beat the Dodgers in a seven-game series. If you just, if you just accept that, that doesn't mean that the Dodgers can't get eliminated by somebody else. Saw that last year. Funky formula. Yeah, I mean, we just saw that last year, and who knows how the Braves would have stacked up against the Nationals. But certainly, I feel that most people probably thought they had a better chance against Washington, even knowing what happened now than they did against LA. So just considering how they performed against LA in recent years, but. Uh, I mean, is San Diego, you know, is that is that team better than Atlanta right now? I don't know. 
Uh, I mean, we haven't seen them do it in the playoffs. Right. Uh, obviously, they you know Lamette and Clevenger, that's pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. And you look at the Cubs. You uh, Darvish is having a great year. He might beat Al Freed for the Cy Young. I think those are the top two guys right now. I agree. Uh, we we already know what the Cardinals can do in the playoffs. We've seen that. So uh, yeah, I, see I, that I, again. Yeah, but 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 you know you genuinely don't know. And if the Braves get a favorable matchup, I think today they'd be playing the Marlins in the best of three series. So if, if, you know who knows who they'd face in round two if the Dodgers got knocked out. So this idea of this year is just going to – first of all, it's not going to have an asterisk. Whoever wins it, it's still a World Series. But to say you can't just keep playing for next year. And I'm not saying that the Braves are. I'm just saying that the mindset of playing for next year is, is just – you never know. I mean, this might be the best year that Freed ever has. Yeah. And and we don't know how Soroka's going to come back. We don't know how Ian Anderson's going to be in his first full year. There's still a lot. We don't. Ozuna might not be on the team, and we'll get into that later. Yeah. But there's a lot of differences that are going to be on this roster next year that you don't know. And and right now, this team should certainly be, uh, especially you look at it. Most of the top World Series contenders seem to be in the AL right now. Uh, so for this team to be in position to go for it, and all like we're able to do at the deadline was Tommy Malone to finally kind of bring this thing home. It's disappointing, but at the same time, you you can't understand that if they were asking for guys like Waters and these higher prospects, I I can understand why the Braves just said, well, we're going to have to deal with what we have. Yeah, and and I think this had a lot more to do with not just asking for Drew Waters or Christian Pache or Ian Anderson or Austin Riley or pick three other names or whatnot out of the top ten. It was doing one of those bulk deals and feeling like, you know, you're kind of pinned into having to make a move. And Alex Anthopoulos does not strike me as somebody who makes a move just because, you know, he feels like he, you know, has to make that move from outside of his decision-making process. In other words, you know, he's not just going to make a trade just to make a trade. He's going to make a trade that he believes in. And that doesn't mean that, you know, he hasn't lost trades before in his career. I mean, people are very quick to point out, what the Blue Jays gave the Mets for R.A. Dickey. But I would imagine, and let me just throw this out there for general consumption, that's the kind of deal that you look at, you consider where the Blue Jays were at the time, and you think, okay, well, that makes sense. Then everything plays out over time, and in hindsight, both the fan base of the Toronto Blue Jays or baseball fans in general, or whatever team you're a fan of, and also the general manager who made the deal can go back and grade it and say, hmm, that may not have been the deal to do, and that's something for me to think about and consider the next time I go out to make a big deal like that is, you know, what are all the circumstances, and do I believe it'll make the club better, not only in the short term, but also the long term, and what are the long-term effects going to be? And for a club like the Braves, and I know this is a lot of nuance, but I just I feel like the Braves are in a place where they have a very talented roster but many of those players are clearly going to be off limits because they're trying to win. Like nobody's going to ring up the Braves yeah. and say, we know you need an ace starting pitcher. Well, we need Ozzy Albies back. Or, hey, we know you want a pitcher. Well, we're going to trade our Cy Young Award winner, and this is not even naming names. And they say, well, what do you think about dealing Acuna? Well, that's going to be a very short conversation. That's not going to go on. You're not yeah. trading Freddie Freeman. You're not trading Max Fried. You're not trading Mike Soroka. I mean, there are just certain names that you look at, and you're like, okay, Well, the good young players are the core of this team. They're not going anywhere. But those are the exact kind of players that another club, even a rebuilding club, would want to have back, particularly these guys in their early to mid-20s because that's the exact type of talent that you typically ask for when you trade away a veteran player. And for the Braves to start dealing, let's say, just a Max Fried or a Mike Soroka, who a couple of years ago were just themselves top prospects, but to deal away that kind of talent – for a couple of years of a 32-year-old pitcher hoping to stretch it into the playoffs for a year and then not really getting the best years of that guy's career and then watching that other player bloom, that's something that I don't think anybody really wants to look at that and accept that as a possible outcome. But it's a very real outcome. So I I feel like, and and we're all guilty of this, like you look at the trade and you think, well, it's going to work out the way I think it's going to work out. But that doesn't always happen. And then I think that the goalposts have kind of moved from time to time over the last 20 years since the Braves have won a playoff series where, you know, fans, they don't really want to hear how it happens. They don't want they don't really care, I think, how it happens. They just want to see the Braves start winning in October again. And nobody can fault them for that. So to not do anything at the trade deadline to once again bring this whole thing back home, that's going to be a disappointment that is built in 
beyond the year 2020, beyond what happened in 2019, really beyond what's happened in, in recent memory for the Braves or since 1995 for that matter. That's just the reality, I think, for the fan base that cares so much about the team and wants to see that club get better and it doesn't happen. But for the executives trying to make the decision, yeah. there's a whole lot of factors that go in that. And being on Alex Anthopoulos' conference call, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, it felt like and sounded like he went out and tried to do some things, and those things simply were not happening. Those deals were not there. And at that point, there was really nothing else he can do because it's a trade deadline. The deadline says that you've run out of time, and it just kind of is what it is at that point. And as I said earlier, you don't want to throw a whole bunch of things at a problem and then make a worse problem down the line. That's how executives lose jobs. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I would venture to say not many Braves fans even knew who Kevin Gosman was before that trade got done Sure, a couple years ago. Alex, he, he's obviously an outside-the-box thinker. He's bringing guys in. You know, honestly, when he signed Will Smith uh, over the offseason, not many people were talking about Will Smith at the time. It actually looked like he was going to take the qualifying offer in San Francisco, and the Braves seemed like they were generally happy with their bullpen. I mean, we had heard the Will Smith connection before, and we had talked about it, but at the moment it happened, I I don't think it was really expected. And he he gets those deals done. I mean, Mark Melanson, who in the world saw that one coming? And for the the Braves of all teams to just take on a contract from – San Francisco uh, is not it's not really expected usually so you know someone tweeted I'm sorry I don't remember who the guy was so it was a Pirates reporter he tweeted about the Braves had interest in uh, Joe Musgrove yeah and he's been hurt but that's a guy who it's like okay that would be kind of a random Alex type move somebody like that who's just not getting a lot of talk because and again he was hurt but he was not exactly a guy you'd see a lot on MLB trade rumors. So, I mean, of course, Alex is disappointed. Of course, they're all disappointed. The players aren't going to say it. And the players, they're talking about how Tyler Flowers was explaining that this just shows faith in the guys in the room and everything. Look, they would have been psyched to get a guy like Clevenger, no doubt. even with the, the care, you know, if there's character issues or whatever you want to call them to add a pitcher like that. And I should clarify that when I said that this season won't have an asterisk, I meant it won't have it to the winning team and to the team that has the world series and the executives competing for this. I mean, some fans, I mean, I totally get it. If you view the 60 game season differently and if something happens in the playoffs, but the people competing for this, don't view it like that. No, I mean, nobody is viewing this as well. Why should we go for it? This is just an asterisk gear anyway. Yeah. If you ask the A's or Tampa or the Dodgers or these teams that don't have a title at all or haven't got won one in a long time, if they have a chance to win one this year, they're going to win it and they're going to celebrate it like it would be any other year. Um, So they're going for it. So I I understand why fans think that way, but teams don't operate that way and and they want to go for this thing. And and the Braves were one of those. Even when Soroka went down, they said, obviously we're not waving a white flag. I mean, you're about to win your division for the third year in a row. Why would you? You can't. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, it, it's unfortunate they weren't able to get somebody, but when you consider all the factors at play, when you consider what we don't know, uh, you criticize them. I, I think that's fine. I think they deserve it. You can. But do understand that it is very difficult to get these things done and these top guys, if the prices that are out there and, and the Drew Waters and these type of guys for Lance Lynn – that's just a tough pill to swallow. And you also have to keep in mind, and some people have brought this up to, to wrap this up, but this is not the farm system it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Guys are graduating now. Uh, the lower minors are not stacked with talent like they were during the rebuild. They don't really have that quantity necessarily to pull from now, or it would at least hurt more if they did. Yeah. Now, you can criticize them and say, well, why the hell didn't you cash in a lot of these prospects like many of us have been saying? That's fair, but that's the past, not the present. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the situation they're in now. So if it was as simple as trading Tukey and a couple of low-A guys to get Lance Lynn, that'd be one thing. Yeah. But when you're talking about trading an outfielder who some people believe can be a switch-hitting all-star, that's a tougher pill to swallow.
Yeah, I think context is important when it comes to both the trade deadline and the deals that happen or don't happen, but also, I mean, you mentioned the World Series, and teams are looking at that as an opportunity to win a World Series. The context of, of the times we're living in and the shortened season and all of that, you know, that'll bear itself out. Everybody's going to know what was going on in the year 2020. If anything, it's a pretty crazy year to be trying to win a World Series. I think that's going to be an accomplishment in and of itself like it would be in any other year, and perhaps just a little bit different and it's not to say it's going to mean more per se but you know this has been a year of challenges let's call it that so to invalidate a team winning the world series i don't care what club it is you know that line of thinking doesn't really work with me that's not how i choose to look at it but the context of a 60 game season trust me everybody's aware of that so uh, be that as it may as we kind of wrap up the discussion about the rotation in terms of the trade deadline another name that moved was robbie ray of the Diamondbacks, really talented pitcher, but a lot of walks, a lot of base runners, not having a good year whatsoever. You know, you look at what Tommy Malone did coming over. One thing that you knew he was was a strike thrower, and he threw a lot of strikes in his uh, first appearance with the Braves. Unfortunately, a lot of those were put in play, and some of them were put out of play. And that was just, I feel like, a perfect storm for just a not great debut. But Malone could still, over the next you know three weeks at least, give the Braves the the basic function that he was brought in for, and that's to help plug one of the many holes in the rotation unless or until they can get a different young arm or somebody to maybe find something they didn't have early in the season to come up and help out. And one of the guys that has done that, of course, is Ian Anderson. But the reason I bring up Robbie Ray is, and the reason I bring up Tommy Malone, and then the reason I've come back around to young arms, Ian Anderson is pitching very well. He's made his major league debut, thrown a couple of great starts, but Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, uh, names of that ilk have not really pitched well at the big league level, not consistently anyway, and that's one of the reasons the Braves find themselves in this problem. You can throw Sean Newcomb into that boat as well, even though he's got more big league experience than these other young arms. And, of course, the disappointment of what happened with Mike fulton who may or may not be a factor at some point before the year's over, but those of course, they're not the answers people were looking for at the trade deadline was, hey, how can we repackage something that didn't work before and sell it to you? But I guess in bringing up Robbie Ray, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this, the Braves weren't really in position to take a chance on a project pitcher having a bad year and hope to do a reclamation project with three or four weeks to go in a 60-game season and hope for that guy to realistically be a contributor down the stretch. So I feel like some of the kind of moves that you might make over the course of a longer season, you just really you weren't open to that. In addition to the expanded playoff field, the financial ramifications, all of the other things, this had to be one of the weirdest and strangest and most stressful trade deadlines for any general manager in baseball. It was weird to follow. Just talking to a few people and reading Twitter, and it was strange to follow. And Robbie Ray, you're right, normally – you know, if he was having a better year, certainly he would have been a guy uh, maybe you pushed a little more to get. And if you had more time to kind of work out the kinks, then sure. But you're right. The Braves <laughs> the Braves have uh, plenty of reclamation projects on their hands right now. After the trade deadline, they referenced Newcomb. They said Fulte's velocity is back up to around – he's hitting 94 yeah. consistently again, I believe. and. They're going to reference these guys because they have to. It's their thing. I don't know. Um, you, me, the people listening, and we don't know how this is going to work out. And I don't think anyone should count on it. We'll see. Uh, Fulte came back last year when that was just a complete disaster. Uh, we'll see here. But, you know, their actions kind of speak louder than their words on that one. I mean, he was DFA'd. They knew they were putting him out there to lose him. And they happened to keep him. Yeah. But, I mean, the situation there was they were willing to lose him. Uh, so that kind of tells you most of what you need to know there uh, as far as what, what they think about him. So, I mean, yeah, it'd be great if just one of these guys, if, you know, I think Kyle Wright will probably be back soon, would be my guess. Lots of encouraging things being said about him at, over in Gwinnett. So, you know, if he can come back and if he can start pounding the zone again, like, or just pound the zone for the first time, I should sure. say. Sure. Uh, th- I mean, that would just be huge. Uh, uh, Sean Newcomb, you know, do you, do you bring him up and move him to the bullpen? Again? I don't know. I mean, I don't have the answers. And there's not a lot of time to figure this out. What are we at, 25 games? Yeah, 24, I, I believe. Something like that. 24 with the doubleheader today. Uh, we're, this is on Friday morning. 
So there's not a lot of time to sort all this out. We'll see with Fulte. We'll, I mean, we'll see with Newcomb. We'll see with Wright. We'll see with Tukey. But certainly, uh, you, you're not going to hear me advertising any of those guys as deadline acquisitions, that's for sure. But <laughs> no. Ian Anderson, on the other hand, what a pleasant two games that he's given everybody who watches this team on a regular basis. Uh, throwing strikes, he's not scared up there. Just uh, he's, he's aggressive. He's got a very calm demeanor, looks really mature, mm-hmm. um, which we've heard that about him. We've seen some of it in spring training. And to slay the Yankees and Red Sox in your first two starts, even this version of the Red Sox, it's pretty cool, I'm sure. Uh, especially the fact that, you know, he's from up there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, impressed with him. And he could make all the difference. Uh, th- this would be, um, if they had done what they did at the deadline without Ian and without the, you know, Ian Anderson factor kind of slipped through the back there where it's just Max Free and, you know, a bunch of converted long relievers or whatever, it, it would it would feel even worse. So, you know, it's two starts. We'll see how it goes from here. But he definitely looks like that he is uh, fighting his way to try to earn a full-time rotation spot next year. Yeah, it's a style that he's gotten the results with, too. This is not somebody who's just, I would say, effectively wild. I mean, he's not walking batters. He's making the big pitches when he needs to. Some guys are putting the ball in play some. He's also getting a lot of swings and misses, I think, uh, more swings and misses in his last start at Fenway, I believe, than any Brave starter has gotten in an outing this year. So that's the kind of little stat that you find inside all of the numbers that you start to look for trends that explain why Ian Anderson is having the success that he is. And, of course, you know, film's going to get out there. He's going to get studied, and this has nothing to do with signs stealing or, or having signals real time. I mean, hitters and hitting coaches and analytics departments are smart. They'll start to figure out patterns and uh, tendencies and all that other kind of stuff that just goes with the game. That's just part of what it is. But you know, for a first couple of times out to beat Garrett Cole in your major league debut, and then to go up to Boston where you grew up watching major league baseball games for so, uh, it has to be a, quite a moment for a young pitcher like Ian Anderson and beating the Red Sox with eight punch outs and six innings of two run ball. That's uh, very encouraging, not only for him but also for the Braves. Every time that he takes the ball, I mean. Dare I say it right now, he's their number two starter. And that may sound a little bit uh, hyperbolic or whatever, but no, I, I think that given everything else, he's pretty much established himself as the number two pitcher on the Braves staff right now, which is wild to think about even back in late July that this could be the case in the first week of September. So Ian Anderson aside, I know the Braves have got a couple of other arms that we have not seen yet over in that alternate side, in particular Tucker Davidson, Patrick Weigel, I'm interested to see what those two guys could offer. And then lurking in the background of all of this is the potential return of Cole Hamels. That's something that I can't stress enough, the potential return of Cole Hamels, because I just don't know how comfortable I am planning around it, which was a lot of what I was thinking about at the trade deadline as well. If you get him back, great, that's a bonus. You know, that's that's getting back something you should have already had, but unfortunately injury was a factor for the Braves rotation this year. Do you think that it's possible, the Hamels return aside, that we might still see some names that we have not seen yet in the person of, say, a Tucker Davidson or a Patrick Weigel or, or anybody else you can think of as a dark horse candidate that could come from the alternate site and perhaps help the Braves plug in the holes of this rotation for the final three or four weeks? I, I definitely think it's on the table, and it should be, because who's stopping these guys from coming up? Exactly. I mean, it's not Robbie Irwin or Josh Tomlin. So. No. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think Davidson certainly deserves a look, if for no other reason than to just get his feet wet and just let him, um, let him, you know, get his first taste of the majors here and, and just kind of see a little bit of what you have there. I don't know, if, considering how many games are left and how many starts. I don't know if he's a guy who would make your postseason roster, but just to give him that opportunity, clear with with where you are, I mean, there's there's certainly no harm in it. Hamill's. It, you know, it's an interesting situation. Mm-hmm. If you do the math, it looks like the second week of September, which is next week, right? It, it's really the earliest that he could return, and that doesn't feel particularly likely, likely when you consider that, yeah, that he's going to be throwing multiple sim games before he gets here. And then whenever he does, then you're looking at, well, how do you build up his innings? Yeah. And, okay, how many games are left? Because the season ends on September 27th, and we're recording this on September 4th. Right. So 
there's only so much time to get him built up here, and I think he's throwing a BP, I believe, what is it, this weekend. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at it that way, it's just, uh, you know, can he make it back and appear in a game? Sure. But to have a, a real impact as a starter, that feels unlikely. Not impossible, I guess, but but unlikely. And then I, I don't know what you're going to do, you know, with the postseason with him. But it, it's it's a very interesting subplot to follow here in these last three weeks. Yeah. And if they're able to get him back and he's able to pitch multiple innings and he is able to be average. And there there's a lot of ifs in there. Yes. Okay? Just a couple. There's, there's a lot of ifs. I mean, if all of that happens – then sure, it would be a good addition. And it would feel like the most unbraves thing ever because it feels like when you're building a plan that has a certain amount of ifs, then you can go ahead and pretty much rule out a good portion of those from happening because the law of averages says that that's probably just not going to work out the way that you want it to, even with the most optimistic thinking or even the most realistic thinking in some cases. And I think the Braves have to have a little bit of both. I mean, they can be optimistic about Cole Hamels all they want, but they're going to have to be realistic about the fact that this rotation is going to operate without him until he comes back, if he comes back. There's another if. They can also be used on the other side. Um, so I also have to wonder, just from watching this team, as you do on a daily basis, very closely, and trying to figure out ways that might be able to tweak or improve the results that they're getting in the midst of a bad situation where they're just trying to make the best of it in a couple of places. Josh Tomlin moved out of his long reliever role into a starting role, which is something he's done in his career. Also, Robbie Erland has been brought over and continues to get starts in the Braves rotation. And just from watching of Finway, and also I think even watching in Philadelphia for Josh Tomlin, but Erland and Tomlin seem like guys that could cover, you know, quote-unquote bulk innings, if you want to call it that. Three, maybe four innings if things go really well, if things fall right. But I also feel like you cannot push these guys through that third time through the order. The numbers don't bear it out. The results we're seeing do not bear it out. But if you want to get a little bit further into the game, maybe finding a Shane Green or an A.J. Minter or a Tyler Matzak or whoever it may be and using that guy as a true opener to throw the first inning to face the top of that order, however you feel like it's going to line up. Maybe if it's the Phillies, you go with A.J. Minter because you know you want him to deal with Bryce Harper and whoever else. Or you get what I'm saying? Like you just you deal with that matchup and then you allow Tomlin or Erlin to come in and cover some of those innings with the first three hitters retired, hopefully, and maybe get a little bit further into the game. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. The Braves have kicked it around. They've talked about it. Brian Snitker has admitted that, hey, that third time through the order thing is something that they're going to have to sit down and look at. But I feel like you're going to have to be creative when you're trying to cover two or three spots in a rotation every single time that you go through it. Sure, and you're right. They've kicked it around, they said, before the season that they had discussed uh, going with an opener and employing that strategy there. Yeah. I, this would be a good time, it feels like. Uh, you know, we're all talking constantly about how neither of these guys needs to be going the third time through the order. Correct. And we're talking about 24 games. They're at the point that they've got to – why not try it and mm -hmm. see how do it in the playoffs. I mean, whatever you have to you do may at have this to. point. Because, yeah, no, for sure. And – because, again, we've just covered pretty much every internal pitching option they have right now. And it, there's a lot of ifs. There's a lot of, you know, if you're listening, you're probably rolling your eyes whenever you hear a lot of these names. Mm -hmm. uh, so <laughs> there's, it's just, there's a lot of banking on hope right now, and that's not a good thing for yeah. a team that uh, is competing for a pennant, to put it lightly. So... You're banking, you're hoping on this guy, you're hoping on that guy. So why not go ahead and say, look, you know what, who A.J. Mentor is, at mm -hmm. least this season. You know what Shane Green is. And she, this might be Shane Green's last 20-plus games with this team. Right. So you know what you've got with him. You know what you have with Melanson, whoever. Uh, so you can trust to start that guy, do an inning, and then turn it over to Tomlin or Robbie Erlin or just whoever. Right. Uh, so I certainly think that that's something that should be looked at and should be not just considered, but actually used and used to the extent that you can figure out if this is something that's actually suitable when the playoffs start. 
Yeah, and this is not an ideal scenario. I mean, we're not sitting here talking about, well, ideally the Braves will use an opener three nights a week and then try to, you know, pad yeah. the back end of the rotation. I mean, you're hoping Tommy Malone can come in and be a five-inning starter that helps take some of the tax off of the bullpen that it's having. But you did build this great bullpen, and I do think that it is a great bullpen. And I think more times than not, this bullpen has saved the Braves collectively as games have gotten away early and the offense has been able to answer that part of the equation by scoring a lot of runs. And then the bullpen has been able to, again, more times than not, be a strength for this club. It is a strength for this club. There's no two ways about that. So as you look at the late innings, I mean, you've got Will Smith in here. I know there have been some bumps for him, but he would be a guy that I would still feel like you, you can factor him into the sixth, seventh inning at worst. Um, and, and then figure out, you know, what you need to do to get to Mark Melanson, depending on who you might have used as an opener that night. But I, I just feel like at this point, nothing should be off the table, and you should constantly be evaluating this. And it's got to be, I would think, a little bit more of a group think dynamic at this point than, hey, well, the manager decided that this is happening, and that's the only way it's going to go. I mean, they are talking about this as, as best they can to navigate holes in the entire roster. So. You know, the right hand, I think, is very aware of what the left hand is doing at all times at this point, but they're trying to find the proper mix of both right-handers and left-handers to get through these starts. And unless or until somebody comes in or comes back and is able to prove that they can be a reliable starter, again, I don't feel like they should rule anything out. So that's just another thought. I wanted to throw it out there. I know a lot of people have asked about it, and I do think that it's a I mean, you look at what the Tampa Bay Rays have done. Sometimes it's outside the box thinking. It might seem very against the grain from what you traditionally are used to expecting at the start of games in particular or from a starting pitcher in particular. But if it helps you win that game on that day at this point, I don't think that anybody should be ruling anything out in the uh, in the environment that we're looking at to you know get into the playoffs and have playoff success and the Braves not having enough starters they're going to have to find answers to that question, so might have to be more creative about it. So uh, all of that said, let's turn the page and talk about the offense for a moment because the Braves' offense has been clicking, and they got to be pretty happy about that. And in particular, Marcelo Zuna, who's the big bat that the Braves wanted, this is what they you know, could have – it's hard to ask for more out of Marcelo Zuna than what he's given them when he signed back in January. The season got put on hold. He didn't look great in the spring. You kind of started to wonder maybe a little bit about what this offense was going to look like back then, but then we all sat around and waited for a while. Well, Marcelo Zuna came back and has been on a torrid pace this year. He's got a dozen home runs. He's knocked in 30 runs just past the halfway point of the shortened season. And I think that the Braves got the right man to replace Josh Donaldson, who departed over the winter, and they got the right guy in the middle of their order behind Freddie Freeman. Uh, Gabe, what have you seen out of Marcelo Zuna, and were you surprised by the numbers that he's putting up at this point? It sure looks like they got the right guy. You know, that that's another thing. They got blasted for letting Donaldson walk. I, I think yeah, I think most people understood where they were coming from there. It was more about the years and, you know, what his, you know, considering the history there and everything. So, but you go out, you get Ozuna, and they haven't missed a beat. I mean, from an energy standpoint, from a production standpoint, uh, this is just look. And, and you also consider, and we'll probably get into him, but Austin Riley, how he's been playing at third, especially right now. For sure. When you consider how he's starting to improve and just develop, and then you factor in Ozuna, I mean, they look like geniuses for <laughs> for not keeping Donaldson right now. Now they gave a large chunk of that freed up money to Cole Hamill, so let's not you know let's not act like yeah. every move yeah, they some, make is great. Have but, happened, yes. But, yeah, yeah. They're not looking too bad for letting Donaldson walk. And Ozuna's really hit his stride. He's a fun player to watch. And, you know, like Snit always says, and as fans and media, I think everyone was pretty familiar with him already, just seeing him so much with the Marlins and with that Marlins team that uh, somehow never really amounted to anything. But he's a potent bat, man. This is a guy who's – what he did in Boston – uh, you know, now that the Red Sox saved some money, maybe they'll, maybe they'll look at trying to pay him this offseason because uh, he'd be a good guy to have in any lineup. Definitely yeah. impressed. I would say he's exceeded expectations. And, and, he told, and, you know, he told us the other night that he admitted that he wasn't really in great shape when he arrived at spring training. Keep in mind, before the shutdown, too, he was off to a pretty slow start. Was he like two for 24 or something? Yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, it was he was off to a pretty bad start, and he, he didn't look great. 
And he said that he, he used the break to really get himself together. And clearly that's worked for him because he, he has looked fantastic. And there's no denying that the parades do have this effect on some guys. There's a reason why a lot of guys have come here and, and found success. Even a guy like Charlie Colberson, who you forget is on the team now. Pretty some easy of the to success forget. that yeah. he had. Yeah. I mean, some of the success he had coming over. Uh, Matt Joyce. It, it, it's pretty clear that this team knows how to really get the most out of a lot of guys, and it seems it seems to be a really good fit with Ozuna. And you know, with the DH too, uh, potentially you know being we'll see about next year, but afterwards certainly it'll be permanent. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into we'll have plenty of time to talk about what the Braves' options are with, with retaining him. But right now, I mean, he looks like a key player in the middle of this lineup for sure and the other thing i'd say about extensions when you look at marcelo zuna who's playing what is age 29 or 30 season and you look at the difference between him and josh donaldson who you know you were going to be signing at 34 sure and you maybe feel good about what josh donaldson can do in the short term but if you're thinking about that four or five year deal that the twins gave donaldson that's going to run into age 38 or 39 that's going to give you pause in a lot of cases especially for a middle market team like the Braves, which makes it a little surprising that a middle market team like the Twins would do the same thing. But, you know, Atlanta is is in and of itself a big market, but it has a middle-of-the-road payroll that has been trending up in recent years. And we'll see what the financial ramifications are across the sport based on what 2020 has done to clubs from a revenue standpoint. But all of that stuff aside, I would think that if you're looking for an extension candidate to keep around, especially if the DH is still on the table, Marcelo Zuna in a Braves uniform for multiple years, I think would make some people pretty happy. And if you're just looking at it from the age of the player and what kind of seasons that you would imagine that would still be left there, it's a lot easier to project that at age 30, 31, 32, 33, you know, maybe up to 34 than it is to sign a guy at 34 and hope the next five years works out. So as we mentioned earlier, hope is not a great strategy and, you know, perhaps the Braves will uh, not plan around that as much as some clubs end up having to plan around it and you know finding things that are you know have some certainty to them and Marcelo Zuna certainly has that feel at least right now he's looked very good this year and he's given the lineup another element that it desperately needed without Josh Donaldson around and he's done it in a way that has I would say has this offense on par or better than the one we saw a year ago and as you brought up several times they're doing all this without Ozzy Albies Ronald Acuna has been in and out of the lineup. I mean, there's a lot of different questions that the Braves have had to address this year. And I think offensively speaking, they found the answers that they like. Uh, When Donaldson did leave, though, Gabe, the other big question mark, of course, was around third base. Will it be Johan Camargo or Austin Riley? Austin Riley or Johan Camargo? And I think we're seeing from the quality of the at-bats, which I track back all the way to spring training, really. And, of course, the production that we're seeing right now Austin Riley may very well be the answer to that question at third base for the Atlanta Braves for a while to come. He has really flipped the script in these last few weeks. The results weren't there, but if you really watch, and we've talked about this multiple Mm -hmm. times on here too, I've written about it multiple times. If you watch the at-bats, there was a difference. Just as far as there were a lot of signs there that there was improvement, even if it wasn't getting results. Now he's getting, like, every result. (laughs) So it's really working out for him now. I mean, he looks fantastic. We've seen him on this kind of stretch before, obviously, when he first came up. I actually think he looks better now than he did then. I think so. Uh, But, yeah, I haven't compared the numbers, but just seeing him at the plate, this is huge for him, man. Um, If they were going to go into this – and. You know, I'm always looking beyond just the moment. If they were going to go into this offseason, once again, unsure with what they had at third base, I think people were going to lose their minds. And this is not <laughs> to say that they're, that Riley's a sure thing right now, but yeah. if he even keeps up, you know, modest production from here on out, I think he's positioned himself to be the starting third baseman entering spring next year. But at the moment, huge deal for this lineup. We've talked about Dansby. We've talked about Darno. We've talked about these guys who have stepped up. We just we just covered Ozuna. Mm-hmm. And now you've got Riley coming in. And, by the way, Freddie Freeman's on a 16-game hitting streak. We, oh, yeah. We, yeah, let's just mention that, too, because he's 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 back to himself. He looks as always. Yep. Uh, and, he's, and he's doing it with people just kind of chiming in. Oh, yeah, he's on this – he's on a hitting streak again. Like, okay, cool. That's, <laughs> like, that's what he does. Just kinda, yeah, it's just like, yeah, yeah, of course. So, without Ozzy and, you know, Acuna in and out, 
for Riley to be doing what he's doing now and for them to have and uh, shout out to Duvall as well. No doubt. For them, for them to have the power of Ozuna, Duvall, uh, Riley, and you know you've got Acuna and, and Ozzy kind of kind of waiting. <laughs> you know, I mean they they're in good shape offensively. I mean I'm, we're not exactly uh, breaking news here that this this team's doing well off, but Riley's growth has been something that's just if he's able to really cement himself, you know, defensively. Uh, he's been good. Mm-hmm. The way he's been hitting, if he's able to establish himself as an everyday guy, you cannot overstate how huge that would be for this franchise that has really been looking for the answer at third base uh, since Chipper left. No, you cannot. And we're following a developing story. The Braves have been searching for a everyday third baseman, a regular third baseman to have year after year for eight, nine years now since Chipper Jones retired back in 2012. So, yeah, this is a huge development for the Braves if Austin Riley is able to turn that potential into results and do it consistently, which is kind of what it feels like. And it was interesting hearing his teammates, whether it be Max Fried or whoever it may be, also Brian Snicker kind of weighed in on this about how it takes a while to really find yourself at the big league level. And I think it may have even been Freddie Freeman that was saying just the confidence that Austin Riley is is demonstrating that he belongs. And I think that's a big thing that also plays in that's the human element thing we can look at the numbers all we want to we can play matchups we can cherry pick stats we can do projections do whatever you want to do but from the the human element of it getting that confidence and feeling like a confident hitter when you go to the plate and feeling like you've got things figured out like you've got a plan that you're going to execute that plan and hey if the last at bat didn't work well the next at bat's going to work because i still have my plan i have my approach and those results are coming more times than not and for austin riley it's all clicking right now, and he's also looked very good with the gloves. So that's a, a great development for the Braves at third base. And keep in mind, this kid is still in his early 20s. This is not some 27, 28-year-old journeyman minor league prospect drafted out of high school that took eight or nine years to get to the big leagues. Austin Riley could be around for a while, and that could be a great thing for the Atlanta Braves at third base. Um, so wrapping things up, a not-so-great thing, and a question that we get time and time and time and time again, especially on Twitter, is what's going on in the Braves outfield. Not with Ronald Acuna Jr., not on the corners specifically, but we've hit on this a couple of times, and I don't know that much has changed in the last two weeks. The struggles of Ender and Ciarte this year are well-documented. They continued this week. He has been getting regular playing time because Ronald Acuna Jr. has been sidelined again. So Ender has been starting in center field. But I think the caveat that, the important one for me, Gabe, is that the only reason he is is because Ronald Acuna Jr. is out of the lineup. If Ronald is healthy, I think he's going to be out in center field more times than not for the remainder of this year. But I keep getting asked, and I know you do too, why the Braves won't just cut ties, cut their losses with Ender and Ciarte, call up Christian Pache, and for me, my answer is always the same. If they bring up Christian Pache, he needs to be getting regular playing time. It's a crowded outfield, particularly on the corners, Throw in the financial obligation if you want to with Enciarte, which is another debate in and of itself. But I can't say I'm surprised, at least at this point, the Braves haven't pulled the trigger on this move. Then again, if they do, I can totally understand their decision to finally do it. So I guess, where do you weigh in on the Ender Enciarte, Christian Pache debate and what the Braves might be looking at and considering if they are going to make a change this year and that, once again, to go with our earlier discussion, if is a word that we keep using quite a bit. Yeah, we talked about this before, and we both thought they should just give, kind of give Pache the keys and, and let him drive, just see what happens, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, um, when he first came up, I was when was that, two weeks ago? This, this season's got me all thrown off. Yeah, it's only been a couple of weeks, but sometimes it feels like it's been an eternity and that we've been talking about things for you know, months and months and months. But we've been hearing about Christian Pache for a long time, too. So, you know, Ender has trended in different directions, especially with the slow start and the hot second half. But this 60-game season, that doesn't really have time built in to struggle for a couple of months and then heat up when the weather does. I mean, this is pretty much a put-up-or-shut-up kind of season for anybody that suits up for any team. And that's going with Pache, too. Like, maybe it's easier to kind of give him some run in a longer season in a normal season, I should say, yeah, where you could just have a stretch where you could kind of see more of him, even like what you saw with Riley last year. And, you know, he cooled off and eventually just, you know, that he wasn't on the postseason roster. And they realized that this guy, this guy's not getting it done. 
you don't really have that luxury with Posh right now. Again, for the hundredth time, I'm going to mention, you know, 24 games or whatever. It's not a lot of time now to kind of get a feel for what you have there. And, and for them to have called him up when they did and, and send him back down kind of lets you know that they just, like you said, there's, there's not really an avenue to playing time. And, and maybe yeah. they just don't get him ready for an everyday role yet. And that's fine. He doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not the most disappointing thing in the world if, if they just don't, if they would just like to give him more time uh, just training and not, and not being out there uh, again. Uh, I would have gone ahead and and kind of given him given him more time. Agree. To see what you have, but I I can at least understand what they're thinking and I, I understand where they're coming from. With Ender, oh man, we, we we've covered this a few times. Just uh, I mean, money aside, Acuna should be back today. Uh, then you probably won't see much of Ender. Yeah. After that, especially with the way these guys have been hitting, so it's unfortunate. You know, it's unfortunate just the way that his Braves tenure has kind of declined. And, you know, if if this is – I don't know if this will be it. He's got another year left on his deal. But they've run him out there in center while Ronald is sidelined, and it's just kind of been more of the same. You know what you're going to get, uh, and you're going to get basically nothing on offense. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for him. It's unfortunate for the team. It's unfortunate they have the money tied up in him. Uh, even beyond this year, but it, it's it's kind of what they're stuck with right now. So, yeah, you've got a defensive replacement, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, assuming that they're going to wind up going most of the nights with Acuna in center, and then you have, you know, however you want to do the corners, but yeah. Duvall, Marquez, Ozuna, you have a, uh, you know, even Riley if you, yeah, if you had out there. Yeah, I don't know if I'd move them right now, but. So they've got options uh, as far as how Ender factors in. I mean, you've been seeing a lot more of them because of the injury. So, yeah, uh, I guess not much more to say about it. It's just it's disappointing for everybody involved, and uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see what winds up happening with him the rest of this season, and then in the off season, what they're able to do there. Right, and that's kind of where I was going to go with it. Is this? It feels a lot like an off season decision, though. If they made this decision in the season based on performance, they'd be perfectly warranted to do that. I don't think that the Braves right now are trying to figure out, okay, if we could just trade Ender Enciarte and get some value for him. There is no trade value right now. And I think we just saw at the deadline, I mean, even if you were looking for a bad contract pitcher to get back, that wasn't really out there either. And you start to you know peel back the layers of this thing and you know, the exit velocity being what it is for Ender, I mean, it's in the bottom couple of qualified hitters I believe you know I, I don't think that too many hitters have had a worse year offensively especially of ones that were you know expected to be at least an average contributor which if he's average then I think the defense while maybe not what it was two three four years ago is still good enough I haven't necessarily noticed Ender Inciarte being altogether worse in center field than he was before and again if I'm judging him as my fifth or sixth outfielder and backup center fielder I'm not really as concerned about that or using that as the, you know, the main point to bring up even a talented defender like Christian Pache. I mean, they brought him up, I think, out of necessity. It kind of opened a Pandora's box amongst the fans in terms of everybody would like to see him. And when I say everybody, I mean, I would like to see him. I know you would like to see him. But if he's not going to come up and play, there's not really a minor league season going on. But rosters don't expand this year. You can't just comfortably do it. And if you just are having aversion to cutting a player and paying him all of his money, which most clubs for the most part do. I mean, see Davis comma Chris with the Orioles. I mean, they could eat that money or they could just keep that thing going. And they've chosen to keep that thing going. Doesn't mean it's the way that you should make your decisions. I'm just saying it's the reality of the situation with the way these clubs look. If you start signing players to contracts and cutting them, even if you're not the guy that signed him to the contract and you start seeing a bunch of dead money moving around on payrolls, Think about how much work the Braves did to get out from under a lot of dead money on their payroll during the rebuild. And I know that was an uncomfortable conversation, depending on what trade we were talking about and what it ultimately cost the Braves to get out from under some bad contracts. And NCRTs feels pretty palatable when you start trotting out, oh, well, remember when you had to get rid of Chris Johnson and remember what it took to get rid of Matt Kemp and remember what it took to get rid of Melvin Upton Jr. or BJ Upton or whatever he's going by now. I mean, there were a lot of times where this had gone on, and I don't know that this necessarily should be one that's altogether that hard to make, but in this shortened 60-game season, 
I can understand why the impetus has not been on trying to figure out who's going to be the fifth or sixth outfielder on the team and the backup center fielder unless there's an injury that really forces their hand, which I think, honestly, is really the only reason that he came up earlier to begin with. Yeah, it, it, well, certainly that's what they said at the time, and I guess people just didn't really want to believe it. Yeah, which is uh, the but, thing. But their actions, yeah, their, their actions have shown that that was indeed the case, that he only came up, uh, you know, once uh, – you know, he came, he wound up going out when Mark Hakus was put on the COVID IL. Mm-hmm. I believe those moves went yeah. together. So, <laughs> look, I mean, with Ender, if 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 you can't find a deal for him and you don't want to just because again, there's one year left on this deal. So not let's not act like it's just just weighing the Braves' future down here. I right. mean, it's just if 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 Ender wasn't making this money, it would just be easier to make a move. That, that that's the the main and the, of course the cost of where those dollars could be, you know, put elsewhere, especially this this offseason when you're looking at, and again, we'll have plenty of time to talk about this, but you're looking at this great bullpen, you know, several free agents there. Mm-hmm. Ozuna, I mean, there's certainly, uh, you have Flowers is going to be a free agent, so we'll see what you do with catcher. But So the bottom line is maybe you end up next year, if you wind up keeping Ender, your worst case scenario is that you're overpaying just a backup outfielder, yeah. which is unfortunate, but it's not franchise crippling. And it's not, you're not going to have to trade Craig Kimbrell to get off. Yeah. Into, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, I, so that's, that was the point you were making. Yeah. And, and I would say this I would be very surprised if we're sitting here in February or March of next year having the same discussion. I, I would just be surprised. It, it, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this winter is going to look like. I'm not even going to begin to forecast or make a prediction about it. But I would imagine that as we have seen from a production standpoint, if nothing else, it's not going to be beneficial for the Braves to drag this out, especially over a 162-game season. Again, it just may be the current condition and the reality that they're working with right now. Is it ideal? Absolutely not. Could it change today, tomorrow, or a week from now? Yeah, it could. They could just go ahead and decide to make that move. I just understand why they've been uh, reticent to do it, and why they haven't pulled the trigger on it immediately, while they didn't say, okay, well, we're 10 games into the season, he's hitting 200 or below 200 or whatever. All right, we're just going to cut him and bring up, you know, top prospect so-and-so. I think that the lack of a triple-A season really has made not only the Braves, but I'm sure other clubs, the lack of minor league baseball in general – have to think a little differently about elevating prospects to the big leagues. Not saying they can't handle it, but it's far from ideal to be doing it the way we're doing it. But 2020 could be filed away in its entirety as far from ideal. Yeah, no doubt. That's an understatement. At least of this episode, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, to wrap it up, I tend to agree with you. Something we'll give with Ender. But, you know, they have had a long leash. They very everyone listening is going way too long of a leash, but they've had it. They've given him the opportunities and it just hasn't happened. So if that results in them just eating the money, if that results in them keeping him and just dealing with it, which I don't really think will be the case, like, I, but we'll see. I, I wouldn't rule it out. They, and then maybe maybe they can swap it for for another uh, bad contract or something. I mean, we don't know about the financial landscape yeah. this winter. It's going to be weird, and and everybody's going to be cutting payroll. So, or nearly everybody. Uh, but uh, it, it'll be interesting to follow. Yeah. But but in the immediate for, for the next for the next three weeks, I, I don't you know we've we've kind of covered about everything that we could say about it. Uh, yeah. I just. You just figure he's just going to be on the – now that Acuna's back, you just figure he's just going to ride the pine and then uh, there's opportunities to get him instant at will. But to kind of bring it full circle, it is disappointing for a guy who really got off to a great start, his Atlanta tenure. and He was such a – he was a big part of that, you know, the infamous Shelby Miller deal uh, that, you know, everyone was really excited about. So it's unfortunate that it's taken this turn, that now the team is good and he got worse and – but here we are. It is what it is, and that may be something that folks don't love to hear, but it doesn't make it any less true, and it may not really make folks enjoy watching it too much because they've already accepted that it is what it is, and right now it ain't that good. So, you know, these things happen in baseball and sports and life in general, you know, things and don't produce the results that you want them to. This is a very production-driven business when you start talking about sports, and when you don't produce for long enough, 
and there seems to be an heir apparent or a better option out there, it's really hard to you know, make a case for yourself without producing. And for Ender Enciarte right now, the only case he's going to be able to make is producing some results, and those results have not been there in 2020 and have been kind of hit or miss, no pun intended, in the last couple of years as well. So, Gabe, I think we've uh, had plenty of playing time of our own on this particular podcast, so let's go ahead and uh, put a bow on this. But I appreciate your time as always. I'm interested to see how the final three, four weeks of the season goes and you know how the Braves line themselves up, not just in rotation, but also what seed they get for October because it feels like they're in the driver's seat in the National League East. And with this offense, they may be able to make a little bit of noise as they punch their ticket into the playoffs. So I appreciate your time as always and look forward to talking about that playoff run with you very soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it'll be good to talk October baseball again, barring an incredible disaster. But (laughs) yeah, it'll be fun to do. We'll see uh, if they wind up with probably either the two or three seeds. So uh, right now I think they'd be positioned to play the Marlins, which would just be a very, very – 2020 playoff series truly weird so we'll, we'll see how it unfolds so big thanks to gabe burns for giving us all that time to talk about all the things that have been happening with the atlanta braves a lot of great discussion there some good stuff some not so good stuff and some stuff that i guess we'll find out over the next three or four weeks exactly what it is going to be and how exactly the braves are going to find the answers to some of the questions they've been asking in the regular season by the time the playoffs comes around so they can make that run through october we all very much want to see As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. Be sure to tell a friend as well. On Twitter, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, and Gabe is at Gabe Burns AJC. You can also find the show on Instagram at From the Diamond. I am at Grant McCauley there. And you can find every episode of the show, all the articles, and other content at FromTheDiamond.com. So we covered a lot of bases on this episode of the show, and we'll be back next week to do it all over again. For Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time on From the Diamond. So long, everyone.